You guys doing good this morning? Sarah's debilitated right now. She has the, um, she's holding the baby while trying to um, do anything else. So, so. you know, it, the presence of God is so amazing because when he's always there, but when we start to realize he sh- he's there and we soften our stance on him, you ever heard that? You know, we get a lot of politicians. I've softened my stance on that. When we soften our stance on the Holy Spirit and we, we, we become humble before God, we realize how much more He is even there. His presence never changes. It's how we receive. When we tune into Him, we're able to receive from Him. And I, I can't imagine, going back to Moses, I can't imagine standing before God in the presence. It physically changed Him. He physically went down from dark hair to, to, to white hair. And the presence of God is just so strong that when we allow it to work in our lives, when we allow him to move in our lives, it changes the way that we view everything, the way we view our relationships, our, our family, our, our jobs, everything. It allows us to, to look at things from a different perspective, and we start to realize that no matter what we say, no matter what we do, he always is the same, always, always is there. The, the Spirit never leaves us. It's just how we receive from Him. So we've been going on uh, a little bit about family. You'll see there, in the next couple of weeks until Christmas, you're going to see different people talking about what family is to them and, and how um, and what family is, whether it's church family or, you know, biological family, whatever it is. But um, God gave me this message a couple of weeks ago, and then my back wasn't feeling good, and Sarah said, I'll preach. I said, okay. So I... I Okay, and I, then I retooled it. God gave me a completely, well, I shouldn't say completely, a, a little bit different way of talking about this. But um, in the family of God and, and in our own families, we are, our houses, our families are a greenhouse. And that it may not make sense to you, but it will in, in a little bit. But our houses and, and this church family, um, this house is a greenhouse. No matter what building we're in, we're a greenhouse. This corporate group of people is a greenhouse. Um, how many of you guys have gardens or would like to have a garden? <laughs> wow. Okay. So we have a garden. Our garden was down, was, used to be down by the road. And um, John used to come over every year, grab his big six-foot-wide rotor tiller and drag it all up so we could plant there. Well, it was easy to plant there, but it wasn't good enough soil to, to grow a lot of stuff because it was too wet. It had too much moisture in it most of the time. If it rained, the garden was flooded. It's on a natural progression downhill. Now, John has a perfect spot. He's got a nice piece of, of land that is well-drained. He's got hill on one side, so it doesn't gain a lot of water. And what they plant for tomatoes is 10 times different than what we plant. What we can get, what we, when we plant tomatoes, their, their tomato plants will produce probably 5 to 10 times what we do because of the soil that we have compared to what they had. They, they had a, a, a well-drained, um, you know, and they got lots of friendly cows that like to help out with stuff. And, um, but we, when we plant seeds in our garden, we put them in dirt and water and then enclose them in, you know, like when we do the little greenhouse. You guys ever seen the little, uh, little round things? You put the seed in, you put a little water in, and then you close it, the little plastic tin. It looks like a food tray over top of it, and then you let it sit in the sun. When we do that, we, we put those in a, in a plastic container 
or some people put them under grow lights to get something started. There's something in that dead seed that's actually alive when it's, it's mixed with the right conditions and, and quality of, of conditions. But there's certain conditions that require, are required to make plants grow to their full potential. The right amount of water, the right uh, amount of sun, the right amount of heat. You know, we, we look at the corn, you know, we always drive by the cornfields and like, oh, corn's like this. And then the next, it was like two weeks later, it's like this. Because it requires a certain amount of something to get that going. You know, whether if it's too wet, it starts to rot. If it's too dry, it dries up. But it needs the right amount of heat and water to grow. So when Sarah and I got married, we weren't exactly thinking what we wanted to do with our life. We just knew we wanted to get married. You don't, th- you know, a lot of people are like, you know, I have a 10-year plan of when I get married. And, you know, Sarah and I were like, okay, we love each other. We're just going to get married. And, um, you know, that's what happens when you're 20 and 18 and have no clue in life, you know. And um, so when we got married, we didn't know exactly what we wanted to do with life. We didn't know what God had for us. We didn't know exactly what we wanted when it came to kids. But one day we found out Layla was, was going to be, uh, was coming. And um, it wasn't expected. It was like, oh crap, we're broke. You know, when you're 20 years old, you really don't have a whole lot. And we're like, oh crap, we're broke. So we've got a baby coming. It wasn't like, oh, this is the worst thing that ever happened. But it was like, okay, this is awesome. We've got a baby on the way, but how do we take care of our bills and everything like that? And it's kind of the same way when you come into the family of God. We may have not expected it. We may not have planned it. You know, not a lot of people go, well, I think in about nine months I'm going to come into the family of God and then I'm just going to start doing that. No, most people that come into the family of God, they don't expect it. It's one day someone says something to them and it's like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just drops on them and they're like, I need Jesus. And so when you come into the family of God, you don't, sometimes we don't plan it. You know, sometimes... If you're raised in a Christian home, it's kind of like, oh, it's just expected of you. Well, I'm a Christian, my kids are a Christian, and that's just how it's going to be. But the same way as when we find out that we were expecting a kid, the father is happy too. When he says, you know what? I know there's, I've got a son that's going to come into my family. And he's expectant about it. And he's joyful about it. And so when, the, when a person is born into the family of God, God just doesn't go, okay, he's born, now I'm just going to leave him alone. You can't just do that. You can't just, this little guy here, I mean, you can't just like, oh yeah, now we have a baby. Just set him in his car seat and go, hey, fix your own dinner. There's something about when you have a newborn baby in your hands and you go, holy crap, this thing is completely dependent upon me for everything. And you're like, Oh, you just kind of look at yourself like, I don't know what to do with this. You know, between the spitting up, the throwing up, the pooping, the, uh, the late nights, you know. When, I remember when Layla was, until she was about one, you could not travel down the road without having one arm behind her because she wouldn't take a pacifier. She never wanted a pacifier. She'd be sucking on your pinky or your finger and you had to drive down the road. Otherwise, she just screamed. She got car sick so bad. So you either had a pinky or, or your, your index finger in her mouth. <laughs> Suck it. You know, she was sucking on it all the time. Yeah. And so it was, 
something that we could not, you can't just have a child and leave it alone. It's the same way with our father. He just doesn't have a child and say, oh, hey, there's a kid. I'm just going to leave it to itself. When it's born into the family, the family, the mother, the father, the brothers and sisters, they come alongside it and say, you know what? We've got to take care of this thing. You know, I remember my parents telling me when I was first born in Missouri, they didn't have a crib, so they had an old dresser drawer that they filled with blankets, and that's what they put me in. That's what, I guess that was what they did in 1980 when they didn't have cribs or bassinets. Um, a drawer, yeah. So children are not just something you can create and leave alone. We have too much of that in the world today. You have to nurture love, and, and there are things that parents have to do for their children to become who they should become. You know, and it says raise up a child in the way they should go. You know, for a lot of years, if you really look at that scripture, it doesn't say raise up a child in the way you want them to go. You instill good character in them. You instill that stuff in them, but raise them up in the way that they should go because they are not you. So God says, you know what, when they come into the kingdom, I'm not going to make them grow up the way I want them to grow up. I'm going to allow them to grow into who they are and who I've created them to be. There is an atmosphere we need to grow in our healthy family. You, you have to have something in your f- home, in, in the church, in order to grow a healthy family. We can spend time thinking about all the different programs we want to do, all the different things we want to do, but it does not create a healthy family full of growth. We cannot have extreme conditions and expect steady growth in both the natural and the spiritual. If a child is not properly fed, it raises a multitude of issues. In the church, if there's, a, if there's control in spiritual things, you will have stunted growth and codependent believers. If we allow our kids to eat whatever they want, and usually that's pop, candy, cake, um, and anything else that starts with sugar, um, it doesn't promote healthy growth. You know, I remember the old Bill Cosby thing. Can I have cake for breakfast? No, you can have pancakes because it's covered with syrup, but you can't have regular cake. I want chocolate cake for dinner. And um, I remember listening to that as a kid, and I tried pulling in on my parents. Can we just have cake for dinner? And, you know, I'm like, no, it didn't work. So showed my age right there. Listened to some old LPs when I was a little kid. But, um, but there has to be a healthy atmosphere for growth in both our natural family and our spiritual family. So if we allow our children to eat whatever they want, they become sick. They become, you know, hyper. Giving them that much sugar allows them to um, be that way. I don't know how my parents did it because they labeled me as ADHD when I was a kid. And um, I can't imagine if I had gotten more sugar than what I already had. Um, because if you guys know me now, I don't rarely sit down and I'm always doing something. Um, I feel bad for my parents when I was like 12. You know, I was just always going, always doing something. But they labeled me as something that was what the world said. God has used what the world said is ADHD or ADD or whatever it is to make me highly effective in everything I do. 
because I do, I do know how to, to have downtime. I knew, do know how to relax, but I'm always in the mindset of let's move forward, let's get something done, and let's grow where we need to grow. So when the body of Christ is not fed, we become stunted in our growth. When we're not fed what we need to eat, it becomes starving. So how do we feed our church family correctly? By teaching and encouraging and discipleship. We need to become mature enough to become self-feeders and teach babies how to feed themselves while we are feeding them. We teach our kids. The kid's sitting at that high chair. You got the Cheerios. You got the, you know, you got the little nasty squash peas and, you know, like peas and applesauce mixed. And you're just like, I wouldn't eat this, but I'm feeding it to my kids because they need it because they need those different nutrients that are in that baby food to grow. So we teach our kids to eat by giving them a spoon, giving them the Cheerio, giving them the, the things that they need to learn how to feed themselves. We give them what they need because we're not just going to say, here's, some, you know, here's a, a, a bag of Hostess powdered donuts and set it on their high chair and go, good luck with that and give them a glass of milk and say, oh, they're getting milk. It's okay. <laughs> now I really want powdered donuts. But, uh, <laughs> so we don't feed our kids when they are 40 and try to hold their nose and say, you need to eat this squash. I'm not going to take my, when my kids are 40, I'm not going to be like, you need to eat squash. You need to learn to eat squash. We train them to eat by themselves so we don't always have to feed them. I don't think any of you who have adult children want to have your kid come over and go, ah, and just wait at the table for mom to feed them. Thanksgiving dinner, you know. Donis is over there shaking her head like, oh my gosh, you know. She's just imagining Jordan going, feed me, you know. And, you know, and with, when, you know, when you have a teenage son, it's not like a little bite. It's like a serving spoon of food and, and cramming it in their mouth and saying, okay, now chew that up. And then, cram, you know, getting the rest of it off their face. It makes no sense. It really doesn't make any sense. When you think about feeding an adult child who should be able to eat on their own and you show them how to eat on their own and sitting there wiping their face off, saying, I told you how to use a spoon. I showed you how to do that. But I'm still doing that. We've trained our children how to eat on their own by putting the spoon in their hand and giving them that big bowl that has just a little bit in the bottom so they can learn how to, you know, and they smack their face with it and they, you know, they hit themselves in the nose with it. We've taught them how to eat on their own so they can use a fork. We, we teach them how to, to use a, a butter knife and a fork and a spoon and how to, to do that. So why have we not done that in the church? We have a lot of people who should be self-feeders, but they come to church every week like baby birds going, feed me, feed me, feed me. We're supposed to grow. The church is a greenhouse to grow people into what Christ wants them to be. But we have a lot of people who come every week to church and go, I haven't eaten anything. I need food. I'm starving. So what happens when we don't get a proper diet as humans. We can become anemic. We can become, you know, uh, diabetic. We can, uh, there's a lot of issues that happens we can become or that we can have become in us because we don't properly eat. 
So when a new believer comes into the church and we don't teach them how to eat and what to eat, 10 years later, we have to teach them about honor, submission, love, kindness, purity, faith. And the whole time while they're doing that, they're saying, no, I don't like this. You remember when you're kids, you feed them that one dish and they don't like it. You know, it's like, you know, it's like butternut squash and like, you know, beef mixed together and they just spit it out and they spit it out. You guys are all thinking about that, that one food that your kid never ate. That's what it's like when a believer who hasn't been properly fed for years and then you're trying to teach them something. They're not a new believer anymore. They should be a mature believer, but you're having to hold their nose and teach them about purity, having to teach them about faith, teach them about submission because we haven't taken a new believer and said, I'm going to teach you what you need to eat. I'm going to feed it to you and show you how to feed yourself. So if we don't introduce them to the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, how are they going to get a taste of it? So we have the ability to have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. People should see the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Well, what happens is, is if we don't demonstrate that and people eat of that fruit, how are they going to get a taste of it and know that it is good and be able to grow that in their own life and eat that? God will always work in people. And, and some of the, the things that you will find is in people who are a new believer, aged believer, they will have the, the, some of the fruits of the Spirit in their life, whether they've been taught it or not, because God will work in them no matter what. But with new believers, especially our children, we want to teach them those things. So when they go out into public, when they go out into society, they are, are functioning parts of society instead of that person that goes on to society. And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen to that person. But what God wants us to do is to feed the younger believers, feed believers as they grow. Paul says you shouldn't be on milk anymore. You should be eating meat. Are you going to fix a bottle for a 40-year-old? Go, okay. Yep, yep. Bottle's ready. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So if you look when a younger Christian comes around, a new believer comes, we need to look and say, okay, what, do, what did I eat in my life to become what I am today? And what do I need to feed them? But we teach them to feed themselves. We all know that one kid that was a little, like, a little past the time of a bottle and a pacifier that we know, that, that you know, like six, and they're still got the, the, the I want my pacifier. And you're like, nope, time for that. There's a time where we wean people off of baby food and give them more and more until they can eat on their own. Galatians 5.22. Let's turn there. You guys are going to get there before me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Our churches are greenhouses of growing believers to become mature. A seedling doesn't give fruit. A mature plant gets fruit. You know when a plant is mature because it starts to what? It starts to bud fruit. So in our households, what are we teaching our children? What are we feeding our children when it comes to the Word of God? In our churches, what are we feeding our children from the Word of God? You know, I remember growing up when I went to church, it was you saying Jesus loved me, and you learned that Jesus died on the cross, and you learned about Moses and Abraham and Noah and a few things, but there was never any depth to what we were, teach, we were teaching to our kids when I was growing up. I remember it was just like, it were, they were stories. We weren't taught about faith. We knew that Abraham had faith, but we didn't know the aspects of faith. What I love about our children's church and kids area is they're getting some of the same stuff that we're getting in a basic form for them to understand when they're four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. So that when, when they come into this room, they understand the aspects of faith. They understand some of this stuff instead of just being blindsided and go, I don't even know what we're talking about. I remember when I was a kid, when we went into adult service, all we did is hit under the pews and colored. <laughs> or we'd bring Legos and try not to make a lot of noise with our Legos. That's what we did. We'd listen to the 25 minutes of hymns and, you know, the choir, and then we'd hide under the pews in the back, and we were scribbling and, you know, using the hymnal as a, a, a place to, you know, put our paper on and write on. And everybody that grew up that way goes, yep, that was me. I was hiding under the pew, you know, when you're a little kid. Because there was nothing in that service that connected with me. And I'm not trying to be mean about the, the teaching or anything like that, but I didn't have a foundation or any seeds growing in me for that to water, to, to grow into fruit. So in our households, we need to teach our children about the Holy Spirit. We need to teach them about healing. We need to teach them about the prophetic, about tongues, so that they don't come in here, what is tongues? They may not be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but when they come in, when they come into an, uh, when they become able to come into this, this room in this service, but they should have some understanding of what it is so they're not just blindsided by it. I was blindsided by it as an adult, and I was like, that's just weird. It took me a year and a half to understand that God wanted me to live differently than I had lived before. He wanted that I, there was power, that there was something greater than just doing the simple little prayer at the dinner table. So we need to teach our children this. We need to teach new believers this instead of just giving them the Jesus loves you foundation and singing a song and all singing kumbaya and holding hands. We need that foundation for believers who are new and don't understand it. We need that for them to be able to grow into what God wants them to. So if we don't do this, what I love is we do it in our, with our kids. You know, my wife just bought uh, my, our kids this book, and it, it's a great, it, it's about 
I don't remember what the title is, but it's, um, it talks about hearing. It, it's a book about the prophetic so the kids at five and six can start to hone their ability to hear God and tune into God in a better way. What happens when we don't teach our kids some of the basic foundations of what the scripture is, is the body becomes anemic, feeble, and hopped up on feel-good Christianity. We want to we wanna feel great when we go to church and, and get encouraged, and that's what it's here for. But there's more to the greenhouse of church than just that sugar-filled popsicle to make you feel good and then for an hour a week. We need people rooted in the knowledge of who they are and their destiny and their purpose in Christ Jesus so that when they come into this room or any other, any other room from a, being a child or a new believer, that they know that God loves them, that they know he has a purpose for them. We need people rooted in that, that have a, know their destiny, know their purpose, so that way we can operate in the, have the fruit of the Spirit in our life, but operate in the gifts of the Spirit. The greenhouse, effect, the greenhouse of church is a, starts from a seedling and they work and they work and they work. What happens when fruit doesn't get picked and it gets set in the garden and you don't pick it? What happens? You till it under. What usually happens? It rots, goes away, but there's a few vegetables that if you till under will come back next year. So the fruit that we have in our own lives, we look for other believers who need that and we say you know what? i'm going to help them if you're good at some if you're if you have victory in some area then teach what you have victory in but if you don't have victory in finances and you're trying to tell some person why to tithe and how to you know just stop god says you're going to have fruit in your life and that fruit that you have you have victory in your life you're going to have fruit from if you have victory in your life you're going to have fruit in that area to be able to Sow that seed, feed that new believer and how to, if you, if you struggle with faith, probably shouldn't try to feed a new believer in faith. If you struggle in the area of finances, you probably shouldn't tell the, the 20-year-old kid who's broke how to run his finances. But if you are strong in your faith and you have fruit and it's evident, you feed that to a believer who needs faith. So our home and this church are a greenhouse. With proper nutrition and conditions, we will see healthy believers bearing fruit. It has to be the proper balance of things. It can't just be feel good and go home. And it can't just be extremism and then go home. There's a balance to our belief. There's a balance to our, 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 our church where it's not, we're just not going to get crazy but we're not just going to come in and feel good. There needs to be the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit all operating together in faith. We can't just go, oh, I'm just going to go and, and, and hoop and holler and have fun at church and then go home, and I can't just go and, and get a, a, a super feel-good, encouraging message and then go home. We need a balanced diet when it comes to the Word of God and the Kingdom of God. You ever seen one person that, it's like, it's like this. 
You go to the gym and there's that one guy and he lifts all the time, but he doesn't do anything for his legs. So he's got, he's built like a, a tank up top and then he's got my chicken legs. You know, you've seen that one guy that does it at the gym or in life. That's what it's like. Without a proper filling of what the church has to offer and what the gospel and the kingdom has to offer, we become lopsided. We become the guy with the super huge arms, but then tiny little chicken legs. Doesn't look right. It's like the guy wears shorts and you're like, dude, you just need to wear pants because that just looks horrible. You know, it's like, it, it looks like a Hulk Hogan on top or Arnold Schwarzenegger on top and then it looks like Pee Wee Herman below. I mean, it's just like, we have to have a healthy balance uh, in, our, in our church and in our families of what we do. We want to encourage our kids, but there comes with correction. Same way in the church. We encourage, but we also correct. There's going to be times in our life where our kids are not going to want to hear what we have to say, but we feed them what we have to say because it is right and proper for them to understand that. If we do this in both our homes and in our church, you know, in my life it was never taught in my home. I mean, my dad lived it out and taught us a little bit about it, but it was never, it was always something we just went to church. And we can't rely upon one hour of church a week for a child to grow in the things of God. It has to come from the parents raising our kids to grow into the things of God instead of relying upon Jade or another teacher on one Sunday or four Sundays a month to instill into them the principles that God wants them to know. So it is our job as a church and, and members and, and part of the body to raise our children to understand that and raise new believers in that. What happens when we do that? We'll see healthy families. When we, as parents, do the same thing, raising healthy children by teaching them what we're being taught. You know, there's no junior Holy Spirit. There's no like, oh, well, there's a junior Holy Spirit that shows up with the Holy Spirit and he comes walking in holding hands with the Holy Spirit for the little kids. No, the Holy Spirit that they're, they're experiencing is the same one that we're experiencing this morning. So why do we discount that they can under, not understand who he is? The Holy Spirit is the same person for the last, I don't know how long. Thank you. But... Why do we discount that, that a child like that can't receive from the Holy Spirit the same way that we can receive from the Holy Spirit? A child is more likely to be able to receive from the Holy Spirit because they don't have all the rhino skin, jaded perceptions of everything in life that we've had in our lives. They're innocent and they're pure and they're able to receive. And that's why Jesus said to the disciples, don't stop the little kids from coming to me. Jesus was trying to make a point to them that these are just as important as adults. He agrees. <laughs> yep, I did too. I got one supporter out there right now. Um, but it is our job as a church to become that greenhouse to grow healthy believers. If we just come in every week and, and just want to f- hear something good and, and then shake somebody's hand, drink a cup of coffee, eat a cookie, and then go out, 
it does nothing for anybody else. What does a greenhouse do? A greenhouse grows plants. It grows uh, vegetables. There's people who grow vegetables all year round. So why? They can eat of the fruit that comes from those plants. I mean, I, I know in our life, it's like, okay, we, we'll plant certain plants and we, we started to plant plants. And like, okay, we planted like six too many. So we have like everything. What do we do? We just give it away. On a, on a yearly basis, John comes down and goes, you want some tomatoes? <laughs> and, and he asked me if I want tomatoes because he grows tomatoes and he, he knows he can't eat them all. But John, I know who John is and he will grow more than what he needs because he likes to give it away. Because he, he has a giving spirit and he will give of what he has. So what are we doing as a church? Are we, are we just planting enough to sustain ourselves? Are we planting enough, uh, more than enough so we can give to the new believers coming in? Because what happens is this. If you guys were raised in a big family, you know that when you get to that dinner table, it's like a, it's like a 50-yard dash and whoever can get the most food fastest, that's it. And whoever doesn't get there fastest, you get what's left over. But we cannot think of church that way. We cannot think of the greenhouse of church that way. We have to think of, okay, what do we have? I need to get fed, yes. We have to, our, we have to feed, our, feed ourselves, be self-feeders, and, and eat of the fruit that comes from the church and what comes from the Word of God. But we also have to think of, I need to be able to spoon-feed this new believer. There's a lot of believers, when they come into the kingdom, they don't even know about self-control. So they might be high, drunk, uh, you know, living with people. I don't know. But they need to learn some of the basics of self-control. We teach our kids self-control when they stomp and they throw a fit. No, this isn't what you're going to do. Whether they like it or not, we teach them, no, you're not going to do that. If you want a good book on parenting, giving, loving our kids on purpose, it's a great book to, to, to raise your kids and teach them that they're going to have boundaries and not get everything they want when they stomp their feet. Also, uh, uh, spoil the child, withhold the rod. Um, so we want to raise healthy kids. We want to raise healthy believers. So when we are teaching our children, teaching new believers what they need to know, first of all, is this, that they are loved. If it says your kindness, Lord, is, is what led us to repentance. If they didn't think that God loved them, would you think they would come to him? So when we're growing new believers, they need to know that God loves them. They need to know that he loves them unconditionally. That's why he sent his son. Some people come to, to salvation because of fear of God and fear of death, and fear of, of hell. But God wants them to come to him because he loves them, not because they're afraid. They need to know that they're loved by their father and have a destiny. And what happens is when they know that is it creates a healthy atmosphere and conditions for growth. So in our family lives, do I sit down and do devotions with my kids every night? Absolutely not. Ain't nobody got time for that. But we are teaching our kids in our busy life, you know, everybody, you know, especially if it's a two-family income, somebody might work at night, somebody may work in the mornings. We have to be able to accommodate our lifestyles but also teach our children. So 
I know that I'm not going to be able to sit down in the morning and do devotions with my children. I'm not awake. They're going to be like, I got to get ready for school. So what do we do is we spend time with them, encouraging them about those things and, and, and expressing those things. And my kids are great because they ask about those things a lot of times. But we've created an atmosphere in our home that is good for growth because I want my kids to know. We give them little books and I talk about things and, and my kids are asking questions because we've created that atmosphere, that greenhouse. The temperature is perfect for growth. Sometimes we have to adjust it. But it's perfect for growth so our kids will want to know about those things. So what, that when they come out of children's church, they go, what is this? So you can explain in greater detail. So when a new believer comes in and goes, what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is the prophetic? What is, is this? You can say, this is what it is. This is how we do, operate. This is how God wants us to operate. We have to create good conditions, healthy soil, good atmosphere to grow. We are a greenhouse, and everything that we do produces fruit. Even if the fruit isn't given, one thing I, I taught before, I taught a couple months ago um, is this: is when a fruit tree produces fruit or a plant produces fruit, it's not always eaten and taken for someone to enjoy. But what does it do? It may fall on the ground, but it is still producing something. It goes back into the soil. It produces fertilizer for the same plant or the next plant that's coming on. So the fruit we have may be like, okay, well, I have love, peace, and joy. And somebody may not always experience that, but that fruit may fall off the vine into the soil. And what it does is it fertilizes that soil and creates a new spot for a new plant to grow up so someone else may, may be able to accept that. So think about the, the city. Think about our homes in this church. What can we do to create healthy atmospheres for growth so we don't have to force feed our kids and say, okay, hold your nose, Johnny. I'm going to shove peas and carrots in your mouth and then they spit it out at you. We want people who are self-feeders because we've fed them and shown them how to eat of the Word of God. Let's pray.